0: You're listening to KRUI 897 Iowa City. Welcome to Bijou Banter produced by the Bijou Film Board, a student-run organization at the University of Iowa dedicated to the exhibition of provocative and engaging cinema. Since 2013, Bijou has assisted with the programming and operation of Film Scene, a nonprofit cinema in downtown Iowa City. As a disclaimer, all of the opinions expressed during Bijou Banter are those of the hosts and our guests and not those of KRUI. Or the University of Iowa. It's Friday, October 2nd, and in this week's show, we'll be discussing three films that are currently playing or about to open at Film Scene. Our lineup includes Sleeping with Other People, which opened at Film Scene today and will continue playing throughout the weekend and all next week. Next, we'll be discussing Cupcakes, which plays at Film Scene Tuesday, October 6th at 6 p.m. as part of Bijou Horizons. Finally, we'll be discussing Center Stage, which plays at film scene this Saturday night, October 3rd at 11 p.m. as part of Bijou After Hours. Joining us in our third segment to discuss Center Stage is local ballerina Matilda Mackey. Before we begin to banter, I should introduce my co-hosts. We have Catherine Steinbach, the programming director of the Bijou Film Board. Welcome, Catherine.
1: Well, hello, everyone.
0: And Changmin Yu, also a member of the Bijou Film Board. Welcome, Changmin.
2: Glad to be here.
0: I'm Leah Vanderheide, Bijou's executive director. I should also mention that all three of us are film studies PhD students in the Department of Cinematic Arts at the University of Iowa. Let's begin with our first film. Sleeping with Other People features Alison Brie and Jason Sudeikis as Lainey and Jake, two 30-somethings with excessive emotional baggage, who ignore their mutual attraction for the better part of a year, or possibly the better part of 12 years, as per the genre conventions of romantic comedies, indie or otherwise. Lainey is an all-too-charming serial cheater, and Jake is an all-too-appealing womanizer. Having sworn off of a shared romance for the sake and future of their friendship, Lainey and Jake studiously avoid their sexual attraction for one another by instead taking ecstasy together, going lingerie shopping together, and discussing sex in detail together. Yet, despite their robust commitment to a platonic relationship, everyone in the greater New York area can see they'd be just perfect together. Certainly, this film, directed by the relatively green Leslie Headland, owes much to the classic When Harry Met Sally from 1989, written by Nora Ephron and directed by Rob Reiner. Not only is the setup and setting of each film similar—the meet-cute as college students, the New York City backdrop—but also the films share an overwhelming sense of their narrative's foregone conclusion. The protagonists simply have to end up together. Or do they? Ever since the indie hit Drinking Buddies from 2013, indie rom-coms have proven that they can still be delightful even if the main protagonists don't kiss at the end. So without spoiling the whole will-they-or-won't-they dynamic of the film, I'm curious to know what you, Catherine and chung Min, thought of sleeping with other people. Did, you, uh, did it feel to you like a tired rehashing of an outdated industry convention, or did its indiness give new energy and nuance to a classic romantic tale?
2: I think Catherine should start because I'm afraid I'm I'm going to be overly negative.
0: <laughs> I'm afraid you are too now. <laughs> well, I disagree
1: with your overly negative o- intro uh, to your opinion. No, um, uh, I I actually really loved this movie, um, and I didn't particularly like um, this director's previous film. But I maybe it's because of the cast and how winning they are, but like. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I certainly did question whether or not our main two characters would end up together. I thought that the conceit of them um, trying to have a meaningful friendship uh, despite sexual tension uh, was could go either way. Like I certainly felt that throughout the course of the film, so I felt like the film was translating... A really good sense of will they or won't they versus the foregone conclusion. I don't know, and maybe since lots of these um, indie romance films, I'm not sure if Drinking Buddy. I guess Drinking Buddies is a comedy, but but I guess I feel like it's more of a drama. So I it, maybe it's disrupting these expectations I usually have in rom coms where it's like slapstick stuff. Oh, you know they're gonna be together, but it's but it's like a silly uh ride on the way versus like a dramatic pathos filled ride th- that i think maybe this film touches on more
0: so you think uh drinking buddies is more of like a romantic drama yeah interesting i would i think it's still in my mind s- sits in romantic comedy even though it com- you know subverts the major convention of what a romantic combat uh co- comedy is supposed to be doing but Chongmin. Let us have it. What what are you hesitant about with this um, film?
2: First of all, like this is probably the first romantic comedy that we previewed on this show that I didn't uh, watch with a lot of people, like in a theater. Oh. So, like there are so many gags that are just not funny when you are watching the film alone. Like for for example, like when we were watching Trainwreck or Obvious Child. Like, at film scene, it was such a good and nice experience. Like, and you can somewhat ignore uh, the problems of the narratives and other Cause stuff. Because you're
1: vibing on other people's... Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. So Good
0: vibes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so when I was watching this alone, I was just like, oh my God. It's like watching <laughs> when, when Harry met Sally again. And I didn't even like the film. You
0: didn't like when Harry met Sally? No. I actually don't like when Harry met Sally either. I well, because I don't like uh what's his face? Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. Is that should I not say that out loud?
1: No, no. Oh, okay. I mean, I think that he's he's supposed to be kind of like a strange lead man, right? Like he's I think he's supposed to be like in the vein of of a Woody Allenish kind of like where you're like, "What?"
0: <laughs> well, okay, so let's talk a little bit about casting with this movie, okay? We've got Allison Brie Jason Sudeikis, Jason Manzoukas, uh, Natasha Leone, Amanda Pete, uh, Adam Brody, and of course, Adam Scott. So, first, do Bree and Sudeikis rise to the challenge of leading lady and leading man status? Uh, second, is Adam Scott successful playing against type as the villain, i.e., Lainey's lecherous ex boyfriend? And third, what unusual extraneous role will Adam Brody play next? <laughs> uh, and I've, I'm making reference to his appearance in Jennifer's Body, uh, which we covered earlier this, uh, this semester, where he plays a Satanist uh, lead singer of a of a, a middling rock band, uh, and now he's a sort of cuckolded uh, boyfriend in this in this film. Uh, but anyway, so do so first of all, do Brie and Sudeikis are they good leading lady, leading leading man? is there something akin to Sudeikis being the leading man to Billy Crystal being a leading man no. or are they to- they're totally different? No veins. And how dare you? <laughs> um,
1: uh, no. Well, I am a particular fan of Jason Sudeikis, not because I think that he's done like a, mi- like a million awesome roles or anything. Um, but I think that his persona, like even SNL, whatever um, is just affable. I'm just like all in. You know, like no matter what, I'm sort of all in on him because he he does kind of play a likable doofus a lot, right? Um and and he is attractive in this way. Like I I compare him to John Krasinski in my head, like just kind of like a like an everyman cuteness, um, that you kind of find him funny even when he's cheesy. I don't know. I like so that's part of his charm is like you're kind of groaning at some of the jokes that he's making, but you're like, I still, I'm in, you know? Um,
0: well, and he's sort of cuteness, not quirkiness. Right? Yeah. Like the, the Crystal, Woody Allen kind yeah, of.
1: Yeah, he's not neurotic, mm-hmm. but like like a confident, uh, quirky guy. I don't know. It's, it's a strange tone to hit, which is why people like him and John Krasinski, I think, He's Earth. more
0: in the Hanks uh, vein yeah. of Ephron uh, rom coms. Yeah. Sleepless in Seattle, you've got yeah. male. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Who can land a funny line really well, who's got really good timing, but doesn't necessarily bank on the same kinds of things as a traditional romantic lead. Um, so I really like him. I have always been on it, all in on him. Uh, and I think Allison Bree's great. I mean, I really liked her in this. I I like her in general. I've been a fan of her in Community and in Mad Men. Uh, So I think that she has some range. And I I did buy their chemistry. I thought they had great chemistry. Certainly, like, the big question mark for me was Adam Scott in this (laughs) film, because he usually does play, again, another kind of likable doofus, um, who's funny and acerbic, um, and that somehow makes him charming and in this he w- he wasn't given that re- free reign right to be funny. he was kind of a straight man so uh, I thought that that was weird and he's a mustache anyway um. yeah
0: and he wasn't allowed to be he wasn't allowed to be redeemable in any way i no. actually I found that a bit odd it seemed daring and maybe that's maybe it would have uh been problematic if he was allowed to be redeeming but It seemed like it was problematic that he wasn't allowed to be redeeming. I don't know. It was was hard for me to decide how I felt about that character. They
1: made her character maybe a little bit more irrational by liking him so much, uh, by having kind of a long-term relationship with him in some ways. Mm -hmm.
2: Do you guys really think any of the characters is redeemable in this film? (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, well, I think that Jason Mansukas and his wife, uh, who's played by an actress, I didn't, I didn't jot down, but I think that their relationship was pretty, uh, pretty funny and, uh, mm-hmm. intriguing and they get a great, uh, uh, credit sequence scene together, which I've left me with a, a happy feeling.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's like the only <laughs> You're like, yeah, likable that was it. <laughs> two characters in the film because I feel I mean I mean when I watch this film I just cannot stop myself from thinking about entitlement. Like it's a it's a little bit like when Harry met Sally. Like two University of Chicago graduates just moved to New York and started their new life. And in this case, we have two Columbia Mm -hmm. graduates. One is like, oh, a Silicon Valley type of, you know, Mm -hmm. tech guy uh, who just, you know, got a lot of money from, like, being... Bought by a big, another selling big out. company. Yeah, selling yeah. out. <laughs>
0: and, they use, and they use the phrase "selling out." I mean, it's yeah. a very—it's uh, it, a—it's a place of entitlement, but they're generally aware of it. Although it can be infuriating because when Allison Brie's character is applying to med school after ten years of of kind of putting that on hold and having no problem, yeah, uh, you know, finding her way into a top med school. I mean, that kind of stuff is just always frustrating about movies <laughs> yeah and she's like a, she's
1: a kindergarten teacher but yeah and she has an amazing apartment and you know but yeah. these are the kind of romantic comedy tropes that we all sort of suspend our disbelief in a way that we're like oh i totally get it you work for a non-profit or something and you have this <laughs> sprawling bay window apartment yeah. and, and Brooklyn or in Manhattan, it's just like, what? Um, what? But so it is, I think that romantic comedies in general are about it, uh, like a certain amount of decadence and, and entitlement, right? Because it's like we don't have to worry about much other than our interpersonal relationships. <laughs> and we, we only get to obsess over that. And like, who's my destiny? You know, like that's, yeah. that is like a very indulgent, you know, topic for a film, certainly. Y- so,
2: even I think, in New York. You don't have to earn your living.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: So other than When Harry Met Sally and Drinking Buddies, how does this movie stack up against other movies in which the central couple is attempting to remain just friends, such as, and I've got quite a list here, What If, uh, I'm going from most recent to, to oldest, What If starring Zoe Kazan and Daniel Radcliffe that came out in 2013, Friends with Benefits starring Miley Kunis and Justin Timberlake in 2011. No Strings Attached, which was like the same movie but worse, uh, starring Natalie <laughs> yeah. Portman and Ashton Kutcher, also from 2011. Zach and Miri make a porno, starring Elizabeth Banks and Seth Rogen 2008. Just Friends, Amy Smart and Ryan Reynolds from 2005. 13 Going on 30, Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo in 2004. Drive me crazy. Oh, my God. Melissa Joan Hart. Remember her? Adrienne Grenier. 1999 Mm -hmm. and last but certainly not least some kind of wonderful starring mary stuart masterson and eric stoltz from 1987 catherine do you have any (laughs) thoughts that you want to share with us
1: well my favorite is some kind of wonderful but i mean uh i super enjoy uh this genre um regardless of quality um Uh, certainly i think that some are well written drive me crazy is even written i think really well snappy dialogue amazing um and uh, but i think most of these others are um garbage movies but um <laughs> oh gracious <laughs> no 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 i'm i'm being hyperbolic but uh but even like the dynamic between friends with benefits and no strings attached um like I, I preferred Friends with Benefits, uh, because because Justin Timberlake, ah, Um but uh, Ashton
0: Kutcher is an institution here. So <laughs> so, yeah, I know I'm going yourself.
1: against against the grain here, but um, but yeah, it's difficult to find a good one because the the formula is pumped out so much, you know. So I think that people make the films before the scripts are good. I don't know.
0: All right, well we will end there again sleeping with other people opened at Film Scene today and will continue playing throughout the weekend and all next week. For a complete list of showtimes, check out Film Scene's website icfilmscene.org. After a quick break, we'll be back to discuss cupcakes.
1: Hello, I'm John Lithgow. Manatees are unique among the most amazing animals on earth, but they're endangered. We pose the greatest threat to their survival. Many manatees are killed or injured by boats or other recreational activities. I'm a writer of children's books, including one about manatees, and I believe education is the key. You can be part of the solution. Please contact Save the Manatee Club right now.
0: Welcome back to Bijou Banter on KRUI Iowa City. This is a show dedicated to discussing films playing locally at Film Scene. Let's move on to our second film, Cupcakes. Changmin, I'm excited to hear what you thought of this poppy musical from Israel.
2: Sure. So Cupcakes is a deliciously funny film set in Israel. It features five women and one man on their journey to the universal competition, something I had never heard of before I came to the States. Each country sends out their team to perform the tackiest, corniest song (laughs) on the international stage. Flamboyantly dressed and outrageously maquillaged, every competitor has to present the most dazzling and colorful picture of their culture. For many, watching the Universal Contest is an annual ritual. You gather around your family and friends sitting in front of the television to rally for spectacular performances. Our protagonists are no exception. But this time, disappointed by the Israeli entry, they begin to sing a song for their heartbroken friends spontaneously and record it on a mobile phone, while one of them secretly submits the video to to be the next Israeli entry. To their surprise, the judges love their performance and want to make them a bombastic culture icon that has the least similarity with the official image of Israel and with their original simplistic style. The premises of Cupcakes are built upon these incompatibilities. This is an Israel that most Western audiences have never seen or known of. On the land that is tormented by religious and racial conflicts, some people are actually living there, going about their lives as normally as we are. Of course, the color palette in this film is always very tone-in-cheek and playful, evoking rainbows that are definitely meant to accentuate the LGBTQ issues. I've seen one previous film, The Bubble, from 2006 by the director Ethan Fox. And the only thing I can remember by now are beautiful bodies intermingling with each other. <laughs> so, uh, and on the other, uh, on the one hand, we, we might say this is a subversive picture of Israel. On the other, it is also very over the top with all the melodramatic elements. So ladies, what do you think about the film?
0: Well, it's just, it's so light. It's just so fluffy. It just floats <laughs> Floats through the screen. Um, And it's, I couldn't help but compare it to Zero Motivation, which was an Israeli film that we watched last semester, um, which had a a A similar actress. With the the same same actress. actress. (laughs) Similar actress. (laughs) I meant same, but I
1: said similar. It got lost in my brain box.
0: But yeah, and she's a great actress. Um, She was great in Zero Motivation. Um, She's strong in this film as well. Uh, But if. You know, one of the great things about having a series like Horizons is you just you start to see these different types of films coming from countries. And having two different films from Israel made me realize, like, wow, if somebody had asked me, like, what is a typical Israeli film after last year? I'd be like, well, it seems like they're very dark comedies, right? Like this, like a very because Zero Motivation was looking at women um, who are serving their mandatory service uh, in the Army in the Israeli Army and it was just it dealt with all kinds of dark issues that women have to deal with that you have to deal with when you're in a bureaucratic system like the Army. Um, and I would have thought that that was wholly representative. And then we get something like cupcakes, which is just it's light, light light. I mean there's issues that are that are there, um, issues about um, the LGBTQ community and how open um, you know the gay member can be with his partner. Um, issues of sort of a woman's place in society, mm-hmm. it seems to be, uh, and, and in the family is is coming up, the issue of generations of Israelis and living up to their parents' expectations of who they should be in the world. I mean, all of that stuff is there, but it's just the lightest possible touch. It's um, just like a classic musical, in a way, just, just like cotton candy, like cupcakes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh- <laughs> yeah I mean... I really enjoyed this film, and I, I really thought that it would be much darker um, going into it. I, especially just with the knowledge of of zero motivation and and noting the similar cast, the same actress, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I just expected it to be way darker. And there are some background elements. I mean that that uh, same actress, she is, I think, dealing with the, you know, these kind of fundamental issues, which are about, right, like, the transition to a more progressive s- state, right? So, like, the kind of tra- traditions and what the previous generation wants and then the, and the new generation. So that that's the kind of... It was the most overt, like, I think, maybe um, more anxiety-ridden character, right? Because she's not necessarily... Um, uh you know all in on on the the music group in the in the same way as some of the other characters because she's really wrestling with these issues um of of kind of familial and political loyalty and and presentation and representation and all that stuff so um th- so there are some of these things in the background but it's allowed to be just a fun interesting weird <laughs> film, which you know shows the the kind of varying tones that that come out of israel
2: I think fox's films are always very enjoyable because uh I think he's gay and uh he loves you know having beautiful bodies in his films, <laughs> so generally that's the case but like have you guys seen any universal? Contest,
0: So it's not called Universe Song. Eurovision. It's called U- Euro- Eurovision. Yeah, they, so they call it Universe Song in the movie, but it's... Oh,
2: yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, 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 it's fine, because I had to look that up afterwards. I was like, I don't think it's actually called that. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Eurovision did- is is huge in, uh, in Europe. I think especially in Eastern Europe, which is... Like, I remember uh, one of my teachers... Uh, brought clips of Eurovision stuff to class, and she was Eastern European, and and it, it was like a huge thing. Um, in-
0: I think it's huge all across Europe. Uh, Ireland, I believe, has won the most number of times. Wow. Um, they've let Australia compete recently as a sort of special case scenario. Um, Israel obviously is allowed to compete. Um I, but it just brings out all kinds of nationalism. Yeah. So may, I could see like why some, you know, nation states in in Eastern Europe maybe like asserting your yeah um, independence and identity through this and kind differenti- of this differentiating. wacky song yeah. competition <laughs> becomes super important to people.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, it's just like I think like the film does not, you know, it's safe to say that the film does not misrepresent. The extravagance of this contest, and um, so what are the psychological reasons that make millions of audiences to be riveted for this kind of performance? We've already talked about this a little bit, like nationalism, but but I think I I know I'm I'm just thinking about this because like in the states the biggest the most popular reality show right now is The Voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, what's the difference? Because, like, I think, like, you can definitely say the voice is m- more about individual achievements. But at the same time, there seems to be something peculiar about this um, kind of reality show, right?
0: About the voice or about...
2: I mean... Uh,
0: in contrast to your you' yeah,
2: Using, show? like, performances, singing as uh, the main component.
1: Well, isn't also doesn't Eurovision also have um, l- like a like a popular vote uh, element as well in it? Like, I know that there's like a panel uh, that that's going on, but I thought that there was a certain amount of like call in kind of vote mm-hmm. type situation, like an American Idol, mm-hmm. I- European Idol kind of thing. Um, that maybe makes people more motivated to to invest and to watch. And I thought that that's maybe not in like certain times in the competition, but or maybe in some times and not in others. But um, I thought that that m- was a part of it. Like I, I have you no vote. idea.
0: I I know I'm looking at you quizzically, but I literally just have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that that
1: might be one of the reasons why it's It's such a popular thing to watch, and I think that is something that um that makes something like American Idol, which i think has has seen its popularity maybe crest and mm-hmm. you know uh and something like the voice now has in a in a judge format mm-hmm. is has taken over um something like so you think you can dance mm-hmm. um which has that kind of well, it used to have a super obnoxious panel, but uh it's getting better um <laughs> but uh. Yeah, there I there I find it strange like the dynamic between the popularity of a panel judge show and a vote-in show. Like a vote-in show seems to like harness all of these ideas about about like citizenship and <laughs> and you know and choosing your own celebrity and rewarding something that you find in a performer or something, but like yeah, I find I find some of these like Strange phenomena.
2: Um, it's like a utopian republic. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> and it is like people trying to find a way to be active in their country without in a pl- in the most pleasurable way possible. <laughs>
2: yeah. So let's talk about more more about stereotypes or images in this film because um, I've already mentioned that there is always this dialectic of surface and depth in this film, and there's an official image of Israel, militaristic, protective, and overly masculine. But there's also this image we see in the film that is feminine, performative, and open to transformation. Can you think of any other example in the film? Or like, why is there a necessity to subvert that official image? Or why, what's the intention of doing so?
1: Gosh, I mean, mm. that's. I mean, I think that's a great question, and I think that there is something about um, these, two, certainly, two recent Israeli films that we've watched, both Cupcakes and Zero Motivation, where we are shifting um, from a kind of masculinist world to to a world where femininity is is allowed to be powerful and is allowed to be. Um, you know, totally, uh, motivating groups of people, right. And, and mobilizing them. Um, so I think that maybe it is a concerted effort to, to alter stereotypes or to, um, to maybe make, uh, to familiarize Israel and, and, um, create a different image that isn't based in strife or in kind of a masculinist political or religious, um, you know, rhetoric. Um, I don't know.
0: Although, so my, my question would be, was this a film, this isn't exactly like a film festival circuit film. So this seems to be something that like is being celebrated in Israel itself and in that sense, it just feels like an escapist film to me, mm-hmm. like a ge- like a very Hollywood it's genre actually escapist a film.
2: Festival circuit film. It is. It is. Oh, then I'm
0: totally wrong. Yeah. What festivals did it play at?
2: I don't remember, but like Fox is one of the most famous Israeli directors out there. Like on perhaps the only one. Like you, if you go to Toronto or other big international f- film festivals and you mention his name and people would recognize.
0: But is, he, but is that with this film, was, was this a forway, foray for him into something more popular genre uh, within?
2: Um, he's always very famous for gay romantic comedies. So that's why in this film we still see a tiny bit of that but yeah. not very apparent. Uh, but uh, I would say, I mean, his entire earth is about um, bringing these kind of popular elements and genre conventions into reinventing a very, very nationalistic, masculine Israeli cinema.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I can't top that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, so we'll wrap up there. Again, Cupcakes plays at Film Scene Tuesday, October 6th at 6 p.m. as part of Bijou Horizons. For more information on Bijou Horizons, check out Bijou's website, bijou.uiowa.edu. Before we move on to our third and final film, let's check on the weather. It's currently 65 degrees and fair in Iowa City. Tonight, clear with a low of 42 Saturday, it will be sunny with a high of 63. You're listening to Bijou Banter on KRUI Iowa City. Bijou Banter is a show dedicated to discussing films playing locally at film scene. Our final film is Center Stage. And joining us to discuss the film is local ballerina Matilda McKay. Welcome, Matilda. Hi, thank you. Before we begin our discussion, Catherine, can you share your unflinching enthusiasm for Center Stage with us?
1: Get ready for a glowing (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Center Stage is probably the most entertaining and rewatchable ballet film I've ever experienced. And I don't want to brag, but I've seen a lot of dance films. Uh, This story follows Jodie Sawyer, a sweet young dancer with lots of passion, but not the best technique. Uh, who gets accepted to the prestigious American Ballet Academy in New York City. There, she must negotiate with temperamental fellow dancers, strict nagging instructors, lusty superstar principals, and egotistical directors as she tries to perfect her craft. This seems like a lot of, of obstacles, but really the film is also about friendship, mutual support, and self-concept. Jody revises her route to the center of the stage, and let's go of traditional ballerina ideals. So, really, as lighthearted as the movie is, it's really about disillusionment and how best to deal with it and move forward to pursue your goals. Uh, this seems to be a vitally important theme for expertise like ballet, where responsibilities and commitment often fast track young people to an adult world they can feel unsure in. The feet and the heart have to be there, but that means both are extremely vulnerable. How do you know your limits and to protect both? Um, I said this film was rewatchable, and that's because despite some stilted acting at parts, the cast made up of actual dancers, many actual dancers, uh, the editing and the soundtrack are all awesome. Uh, the music of Jamiroquai, Mandy Moore, Michael Jackson, and more Jamiroquai usher you through a super pleasurable narrative, and Amanda Schull, Susan May Pratt, and Zoe Saldana uh populate it with likability so since we have a real life dancer with us uh let's start our discussion with how this film measures up to real experience matilda tell us a bit about your dance background uh where you hope it will take you and how this film relates to your dance reality
3: well i've been dancing ever since i was two years old and since i'm 16 now that's been almost actually 15 years of dancing And I love it so much. It really is my life. I hope that it'll take me really far, but, you know, there's always obstacles as this movie touches on, and nothing can really speak for those obstacles except for the experiences themselves. But I decided to graduate high school a year early to start college a year early and pursue dance collegiately, obviously, in one of four schools in New York City that I'm shooting for. So this film definitely relates to all dancers' realities as it just really speaks for everything that you have to go through to try and make it big. And although it hones in more on the ballet realm, it speaks for the modern and the contemporary and those other realms as well.
0: Are you primarily a ballerina or do you dabble in other dance forms?
3: I'm actually primarily a contemporary dancer and contemporary is more of a, I don't want to say pedestrian because I don't want to make <laughs> it seem, you know, like anyone can just walk off of the street and pull it off, but it is more interpretive and more up to the dancers really like, likability ability of what, how they want to move and how they see the movement on their body. So much more interpretive, but I love ballet and as every dancer that, wants to pursue this knows that you have to take ballet at least once a day every day for the week otherwise your technique will start to falter and you really start feeling it if you don't go to your ballet classes you know it's just kind of that fundamental thing that you have to keep doing and if you love it there's no problem
0: so ballet is the foundation for even contemporary dancers yes very much so and how many hours a week you do you dance around 32. And you're graduating a year early from high school? Yep. Yeah. It's busy. feel wow. it. wildly well. inadequate right now. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I, I wa- didn't even go running today. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how competitive it is to get into a good dance school.
3: Well, my dream school is the Juilliard Conservatory in New York City, and their acceptance rate is 0.6%. So Ooh. it's very competitive. They only take 12 girls and 12 guys out of roughly 600 dancers internationally. And you have to make it through all six or seven rounds of the audition before you're even considered to get in. And what's even more difficult for Juilliard is that they take an extremely wide range of dancers. Like I know people that have taken just a couple of ballet classes in their lives and they're at Juilliard. And I know people that I've never taken any class but ballet and they're also at Juilliard. And it's, I don't know, it's amazing.
0: Where are you in the process?
3: I am currently just applying for high schools, or <laughs> for <laughs> colleges, and not applying for high school. Um, it's definitely a process, as you know, just applying for anything, but especially because these colleges are out of state, you have to write multiple essays and then send in audition pictures and then go and actually take the audition but sign up before the auditions close, and I don't know, there's a lot of steps to it. Do you fly to them, or do they fly, does that other local audition there aren't any in Iowa, which I don't know, not that surprising. <laughs> but they come to Chicago, which is really nice. Oh, okay. All mm-hmm.
1: right. All right. So I want to ask. So yes. this, the primary conceit of this film is kind of the dynamic between uh, and struggle between technique versus passion. So, do most dancers, you think, uh, struggle with this this problem? How often does one kind of want to quit or feel overwhelmed by the discipline and talent that the art requires?
3: Well, it definitely grows as you mature as a dancer. When you become older, you start to realize how passionate you are about it. And once you do, of course, you become insecure and you think, oh my goodness, I hope my technique is good enough to make it. I hope that my passion is noticeable in a room with a whole bunch of other talented dancers to make it. And not just for colleges, but also for companies or just tiny jobs, whether it's like a music video or performing with this group of people. or there's so many things in the dance world, so many possibilities that you—it it is rightful to kind of be insecure. But I think that a lot of people do struggle with the technique versus passion problem because sometimes you get praised for having amazing technique and then you watch that person perform and there's just nothing there. It's as if you're just watching a Barbie doll, you know, whack their legs up in this guy. And it might be aesthetically pleasing, but there's no oomph to it. You know, there's no gumption. You don't feel anything from watching them dance. And I think that's the whole part of dance as it is an art form. You know, you need to make the audience feel something. And if you don't feel it yourself, there's no way that they're going to. Um, it's kind of sad sometimes when i watch the people around me that struggle with the passion versus technique problem in the way that they are really passionate but they just aren't cut out for it and whether it's teachers that tell them or they have to find out the hard way from rejections but i do believe that if you have the passion the technique is secondary
2: can you tell me how to appreciate a ballet performance because (laughs) I feel like uh, I'm a dummy (laughs) let's unpack this even further
3: (laughs) sometimes ballet can be pretty dry Mm -hmm. especially when you have a ballet such as Sleeping Beauty it's like three acts and about four hours long and if you're a non-dancer I can imagine that it can get pretty endless but I guess for a non-dancer like you. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know that. Do you have a secret dance book? Uh, nope. Okay. <laughs> you might. You might. Um, definitely assess the effort that has to go into it. For ballet, your goal is to make it look effortless. You know, you hear, oh my gosh, I can't believe that her toes are all ripped up. You know, she has blisters and corns and calluses, but you'd never know because it's effortless. And then paralleling that to contemporary dance, you want to show the effort. You want them to be like, oh, look at that. You know that they're working hard, which is interesting. And it sounds kind of as if you wouldn't want it, but it adds to the intrigue. So I guess if you're watching a ballet performance, just try and really marvel over the fact that it takes hours and years to try and perfect that craft. And you know, if you stumble on one thing, it can feel like it's the end of the world for those dancers, you know?
0: Is there um in contemporary uh, you know, there's famous ballets, there's Swan mm-hmm. Lake, there's Sleep uh Sleeping Beauty, Beauty and the Beast. What are we just talking about? <laughs> Sleeping Beauty and yeah. Beauty. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast. That's Not ice the beast. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what are we talking about? Are there famous contemporary um ballets, pieces? Uh, well, what would you call
3: that? I guess in the modern mm-hmm. world of dance, I guess, there are more Uh, famous modern pieces, such as from, like, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater or the Martha Graham Dance Company or Lester Horton, just those types of things. But in the contemporary world, I think there's just so much emerging art that it hasn't really been that established. I'm sure that if you go to a place like New York City or Chicago or – Miami, even places like that, then there definitely is a populace where they say, oh, yeah, we've all seen this. We all know snippets of this choreography similar to ballet. But ballet definitely is more of an establishment in that, you know, if you go to a studio where people are taking ballet class, you can ask them about a ballet and ask them to kind of either hum the music for you or show you a couple of the steps and they'll be able to do so. But contemporary is just a little different. Hmm
0: yeah i I mean i I imagine it i always Mm -hmm. think of like brand new pieces when i'm thinking of something that's contemporary and modern that's very true all right well let's take a quick break and when we return we'll continue our discussion of center stage and the dance world with guest matilda mckay support for krui is brought to you in part by the broken spoke they offer new and used bicycles cycling accessories and also service a variety of bicycles they can be found in Iowa City at 602 South Dubuque Street. For more information, visit thebrokenspoke.com or call 319-338-8900. Welcome back to Bijou Banter on KRUI Iowa City. This is a show dedicated to discussing films playing locally at film scene. We're currently discussing center stage with guest Matilda Mackey. Catherine, more questions about center stage, about dance, about passion. Yes. Love.
1: I have them all. Tension. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, one of the things we were kind of touching on before we went to break is, um, so one of the themes of the film, Cooper's Ballet, is a ballet for the people versus the kind of, uh, stuffy traditional kind of ballet as it's characterized in the film um, so uh, Matilda do you feel like ballet is this kind of gated community do you feel that tra- traditional ballet and its appreciation is for a narrow part of society and, and maybe as a contemporary dancer what makes Cooper is Cooper's ballet contemporary would that be its yes, classification yeah. mm-hmm. and, and how is it for the people
3: Well, I think Cooper's point with that statement about, you know, ballet for the people versus the stuffy traditional kind is a little bit exaggerated, but I don't think he's very off track in saying that it is reserved for a gated community of dancers and of spectators. You know, when I was younger, I used to associate the people that went to the ballets and the Met Opera House or Lincoln Center in New York to, you know, go with their fur coats and their hair (laughs) all nice and done just to go and sit and watch the ballet and sip their tea. But um, so I guess that there is kind of that stereotype, which does ring true a little bit. And in the dance world, there is a special slot, I guess, reserved for the ballerinas, you know, the long legs, the bendy feet, the hyperextension and just this natural aesthetic that you're born with, which... Cooper, I think he also means with the contemporary nature of his ballets that dance shouldn't be just done well by those that are born with something natural. you know, if you're not born with something that doesn't mean that you can't still work just as hard to become better than people that are naturally given that.
1: yeah, that's a great point no, i and it's interesting that I mean, certainly Cooper's ballet is kind of hyperbolic because mm-hmm. it it involves all of the like pop music and Uh, you know, motorcycles on stages, yeah, um, and uh, and risque uh, scenes. Um, So, I mean, how does how does that ballet compare to some of the things that you do as a contemporary dancer? Well, is that like a fantasy? Is this like for me? Like in the world of dance, is it kind of like a fantasy um, to be dancing to Michael Jackson on stage?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I I really don't think it is, which is awesome. You know, it really speaks for this new generation of dance. And there is a subgenre, if you will, of ballet that's called contemporary ballet. And there's this famous company that is out of New York City that is called Complexions Contemporary Ballet. And I actually just got back this end of summer spending my summer there at their intensive. And um, when I was there, we learned some of their contemporary point repertory and worked with their company members and with their um, directors Desmond Richardson and Dwight Roden, who are really famous in the dance world. And so, what they do is this contemporary point movement. You know, they don't have their red point shoes on stage, but it's not <laughs> that far from that. It's more quirky, it's more avant garde. And I'm sure that there are pieces that have things that sort of emulate the bet on stage and the motorcycles on stage, that sort of really on edge thing. And I feel like it is being more appreciated. And it's out there.
2: So Mike, another question. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So like uh, in the narrative, there is this turning point when Judy finds out that uh, she cannot dance the traditional ballet very well. So she has to transition into contemporary ballet Mm -hmm. or, or whatnot. What's her problem? Because when I watched the film, I, I you didn't get say it. say anything. Yeah. You didn't Sub question. Horrible exactly. turnout. Yeah, Sub <laughs> question, how turned <laughs> out are you?
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's, it's absurd. I think I am, I don't want to sound negative, but you know, it does kind of anger me sometimes when you hear stories like this. And in fact, I, I guess I can parallel this to myself. I'm just short five foot, you know, nothing spectacular. I don't have bendy feet or hyperextended legs or crazy long legs that are twice the size or length of a normal person's. And I definitely have felt the repercussions for that in the ballet world, but that hasn't stopped me from going to every ballet class that I possibly can and trying to excel there. But definitely you are, and I'm not the only one, placed in this group of, oh, she's not going to make it in the ballet world. And for somebody like Jodi in this movie, that really makes or breaks it for her. And in this case, you know, it breaks it because she wants that and she doesn't have that aesthetic as I touched on earlier. And this led her to realize, as you said, that she wanted to be more of a contemporary ballet dancer. And it was because she didn't have 180 degree turnout or super bendy feet you know like banana feet with the perfect arch and I don't know for me and I guess more contemporary dancers it's almost more intriguing and captivating to watch somebody that doesn't have these things because they have to work that much harder to sort of fake it to make it look like they have that and I think she figured that out.
0: Is turnout Something that some people will just never—the 180-degree turnout—is Is just is something like some people their their body will never do that, even if they start training at a very young age.
3: Um, well, I think that if there are, I know some people that were stretched out when they were just babies. You know, their mom was like, "Okay, give me your foot. I'm gonna bend it and let's put really? you in the splits when you're <laughs> no. two months out of the womb." Like, I've heard some pretty extraneous stories, but um, I. I think so, unless you're really young and you're told by your parents to rotate, rotate, but then you have the um, the problem that if you use your rotation, because your rotation comes from your hip flexors and your socket there, your joint, it's physically, some of it is muscular, but a lot of it is also bones, just how much it actually can rotate outwards. And if you try to force that from your knees to give the look that you are more rotated, you will end up seriously hurting yourself. So if you're a child and you are taught to just fake it till you get that in your muscle memory, you run the risk of injuring yourself. But it wouldn't surprise me if people's bodies did change to fit the mold of being 180 degrees if they worked on it when they were younger. But there are certainly people that are never going to get to that point, you know, especially by the time that girls hit puberty, just, your hips aren't just going to change.
0: But do you think that they can still be very successful, beautiful yes, for professional sure. dancers?
1: Well, this is a great segue to my parent question. So it wouldn't be a dance film without at least one over-involved parent. Uh, In our film, Maureen's dance mom is particularly forceful. How involved is too involved for parents of dancers? And Matilda, do your parents play an active role in keeping you motivated and disciplined to dance?
3: (laughs) My parents, I... I don't want to brag, but they're so awesome. And the way that they motivate me and propel me in the dance world, I just, I couldn't ask for anything more. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just that they give me all the resources. And I've told them, you know, if I need to back off on dance classes, you let me know. Like, if I'm not spending enough time at home or if it becomes too expensive or anything like this, just let me know. And they have never, ever made it seem like I need to stop. And... Yet their motivation has never pushed me to the point where I'm like, you need to get away from me and stop, you know, flattering me or anything like this. And I think it's it's really great. But in this movie, as you said, Maureen and her mom had this sort of little yelling session towards the end where Maureen comes upstairs out of the dressing room and she says, mom, this is ballet is your dream. It's not my dream. And then her mom realizes that she's right. And then Maureen goes off and lives her happy, normal life at a regular college. But that's just, it definitely happens. And I don't know if you guys have seen dance moms, but there is crazy dance moms out there. And, um, I'm thankful that my parents aren't like that because it would definitely make it a lot harder. You know, when the environment that you're at is pushing you and pushing you constantly, there's going to become a point where you just can't take it anymore, as she felt in this movie.
0: So they don't come from a dance background, either of them? Nope. This is of your own, of your own making? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and who put you, so what was, you said, but you've been dancing since you were two. Yeah. So at some point your parents thought, maybe she'll be mm-hmm. interested in this. Yeah, I was
3: involved <laughs> in so many things. I was swimming and doing gymnastics. Basically, I just, I never stopped moving. And then as I got older, I chipped away at all the things that I didn't love as much. And this is the only thing that remains.
2: Wow. Well, but like, again, all music and performatic arts, um require this kind of education mm-hmm. like from like a person's childhood right yeah I would say that so like how are you going to know that oh you are so into ballet or you are so into pianos cello violin when you were little
3: i I don't know I wish I could go back <laughs> and ask myself you know what I thought in those classes when I was walking around with my diapers, you know, holding on to my teacher's hand, and I definitely didn't think that it was going to end up being such an integral part of my life because when I was younger, you know, my nine years old, something like that, a lot of the older girls at my studio had sort of, you know, they were involved in high school stuff, and that's great, but I sort of saw it for them as like dance was more of a secondary thing, and not all of them, but just speaking generally – And I got to the point about a year, two years ago, where it really just became something that I love doing so much. There's no place I'd rather be than the dance studio, even if it's Friday night rehearsals and my friends are at the football games or doing whatever. I just, there's nowhere else I'd rather be.
1: See, that's what's so interesting to me about, like, dance as as an art, as a discipline, is that it, it does seem to evoke this, commitment right mm-hmm. like this at some point the dancer makes a decision that yeah. this is the thing and this is going to be and, it, and it, it astounds me because <sighs> maybe this just speaks to my immaturity but uh but like it's so difficult to even as a 25 year old 32 year old now to make mm-hmm. a huge commitment like a life commitment and be like no I this know. is the thing like this is the the thing that will define my career yeah. and will, you know, will be this thing that will be a, kind of a, a lifelong journey. You know, it's so right. difficult for most people to make those decisions, let alone a young person who's, you know, or even, you know, when if someone makes the decision when they're 10 or 12 mm-hmm. or 14, you know, like. I guess I
3: just feel that life is too short to not be totally involved in what you love. And now that I have figured out, I'm not saying that I'm going to be in love with this for the rest of my life I'm not going to tie myself down to that if I realize in college or later or even when I'm 60 years old that I'm not happy with the position and dance that I have I'm going to change that so that I am happy and doing whatever I please in whatever realm it is but I think that I found it now and I might as well just go completely 110% all the time with it and take that commitment by the horns because you know there's no reason not to
0: how are your parents feeling about you going pretty far away
3: next year? <laughs> they are really excited for me, They're actually. coming with you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully. Uh, I, mean, I love them, but <laughs> no, they, I mean, the summer when I was gone, I've been gone for summer intensives. The last two years were in New York, and year before that was in Los Angeles, and three no four intensives before that was also in New York and every time that I'm gone of course we miss each other but this summer they were like it felt like you weren't even gone you were just texting us all the time and I was like well I thought you'd want to know what's going on in my life there otherwise you definitely would have missed me like in fact this morning my mom was talking about how it's not even going to be a problem for her when I'm gone next year I was like oh yeah okay you just wait and you're going to be calling me every night saying how much you miss me (laughs) but they're going to It's going to be weird. I'm an only child, so they're definitely going to feel the difference of having somebody around that's always busy and has a schedule and something set on their mind, but then also who loves to converse with them and hear what's going on in their lives and share what's going on in mine. But I know that they're happy for me.
2: So, Matilda, last question. What's your favorite (laughs) dance film? Because I want to get an answer from a pro.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, um, have you guys seen Fame? Yeah. I've actually never seen it. There's two. It's been a while. There's the original one, which is more, it's sadder and it's more real. It's, I don't know, has a little more like innuendos in it. And then there's the more recent one, which is more of like a Broadway take. But I think that's a really good movie because it is real and it keeps integrity to the craziness in the life. Catherine, awesome. what's
0: your favorite dance film?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to top center stage just for pleasurable it's good, yeah. watching. Um,
2: oh, that jazz. <laughs> I'm I actually, just saying that.
1: I, I mean, I watch a lot of dance documentaries. Like I oh. enjoy mm-hmm. dance documentaries mm-hmm. quite a bit. So even something that's sort of like low-key something like um robert altman's the company mm-hmm. Ooh, i found yeah. that to be like extremely watchable because it's it is kind of like a narrative documentary yeah. you know because you have these familiar actors but um but it's just kind of observing um this dynamic so i really love
2: that one too um
0: and yours is all that jazz, Changi? Yeah, it's, it's totally <laughs>
2: sexualized. <laughs> even more than this, you, you have to say that, right? Like, like everybody, I mean, every man has a sexual fantasy about doing something on a plane. Is what I'm going to say.
0: Good <laughs> <Thank you> lord. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll end there. Again, Center Stage plays at film scene this Saturday night, October 3rd at 11 p.m. as part of Bijou After Hours. For a complete list of showtimes, no, I'm sorry. For more information on Bijou after hours, check out bijou.uiowa.edu. If you're interested in seeing film that challenges, inspires, educates and entertains in downtown Iowa City, please check out Film Scene and Film Scene's website icfilmscene.org to learn more about the Bijou Film Board's unique and long-standing role in the exhibition of provocative and engaging cinema in Iowa City. Please check out bijou.uiowa.edu. You've been listening to Bijou Banter. Catherine, thank you so much for being here today. Glad to be here as always. Changmin, it's a pleasure.
2: Likewise.
0: Matilda, it was so wonderful having you with us today. Yes, thank you so much. I'm Leah, and I look forward to more banter next week.